Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Wiley Society podcast. I'm your host, Bill DeLuise, and today we're going to hear some highlights from a lively session given by science editor Lara Helmuth at the 2017 Wiley Society Executive Seminar in Washington, D.C. Lara trained as a neuroscientist, but for the last 25 years, she's worked as a science journalist for publications including National Geographic, Slate, and The Washington Post. The relationship between the academic research world and popular media can be a difficult one. On one hand, journalists might say that researchers are too cautious and that they need to do a better job communicating for a lay audience. On the other, researchers often worry that their work will be used by journalists and sensationalized, taken out of context, or worse. Those tensions do exist, but Laura Helmuth makes the case that now more than ever, there are opportunities for the research community and the media to work together to fight misinformation and anti-science sentiment in the public. And she has four concrete examples for how societies, as voices for their communities and as support for many thousands of individual researchers, can work with the media to spread knowledge and raise public awareness on the issues that may quite literally determine our future. Here's Lara. I'm an editor at The Post, and I oversee a team of about a dozen reporters who write about science and health and the environment. Um, I also work with a lot of freelance writers, and I also work with, um, with scientists and, and physicians who uh, often write first-person stories uh, about their own work or about their own field. Um, and I've, I've done that at the various places I've worked. Um, and so I'm, what I'm going to do is, is kind of go through uh, some of the lessons we've learned in journalism about how to communicate science well with, with the idea that maybe these are ideas you can bring back to your members, um, maybe people in, you know, maybe some of you or some of the people in your organizations would be interested in, in placing stories right now. Uh, there's a great appetite for it. Um, as much as we are living in sort of a, you know, in an anti-fact, anti-science moment um, for part of the population, uh, we're also seeing a much more interest in science, um, good traffic, you know, that those are the sort of, sort of data that I look at is, you know, what are the numbers, how many people are reading stories, and particularly things like climate science. Um, there's just a huge interest right now um, in understanding science, in applying it, in, uh, in kind of dealing with the, the conflicts and, and bringing light to darkness. I want to kind of focus on what societies can do, um, and there are a lot of things that, that societies are already doing. Um, you know, to, to sort of to, to help communicate science, um, you know, beyond the, the publishing of important papers, but how, sci how societies can kind of improve the communication between uh, the research world, scholarship world, and journalism, and through through journalists um, to, to sort of mass awareness. And uh, I think, you know, that we, we don't have the same missions, but we have very complementary missions um, in that, you know, for journalists and researchers and publishers, sort of your life's work is to increase and diffuse knowledge. Um, so we all want to do that. Um, and I think right at this moment, every, you know, everybody's concerned about not just uh, pursuing and diffusing knowledge, but kind of stopping the you know, tsunami of, of nonsense and lies. And yeah, I've been in this business for about 25 years. Journalists are fired up. I've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, journalists tend to have very high metabolisms and work really hard all the time, but it's ridiculous right now. People are just really on fire and they're, and they're very excited. And uh, frankly, scientists are woke. The March for Science was probably one of the most visible uh, expressions of this. And that, that was sort of a perfect case study of how 
um, the interests of scientific societies, of researchers, and the media can sort of uh, you know, amplify one another, uh, coordinate with one another, help one another. Um, and and the, the reason this was so important, it was sort of, a, like I say, a best case scenario, um, is that uh, by, com by, by having scientific societies come out in support of this march for science, it gave uh, journalists, it gave reporters like very legitimate, obvious, trustworthy sources to say this is a big deal. This isn't, you know, just another march on Washington, although we, you know, we have those all the time. Um, but this is different. This is something that hasn't happened. You know, the American Chemical Society is not in the business of pro you know, promoting protest marches. This is, this is a different thing. This shows how important it is. And that helped journalists sort of make the case internally to our own, um, you know, our editors, editors, publishers, you know, the people who control what's on the front page, you know, how much placement we get, how many, how many reporter hours we can dedicate to a story. That really helped us make the case internally. And also, you know, really helped with sort of clear messaging to readers that this is something different. This is important. People who really know are very concerned about the, the lack of facts and the, and the threat to uh, reality-based um, policies in, in the world. And then another thing that societies have been doing very well, I think, is, is supporting uh, society blogs and um, promoting and encouraging and kind of helping reader, helping members learn how to communicate uh, through their own voices and, and, and promoting those voices. And this is, this is a change. Um, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, when blogging first kind of got going, a lot of bloggers, especially early career people, um, blogged pseudonymously because they were told that blogging would impair their career options later on. And, uh, and it was a thing. They, they, in, there were some platforms that wouldn't use um, pseudonyms and it was, it was like a big fight that's completely obsolete now because um, it's now considered a, a kind of a good thing. There's just been a, a real change and a real uh, increase in appreciation that you can be a blogger and be a serious scientist and that, and that those, those are complementary um, skills and complementary goals. And then another thing that, uh, that of course, societies you know, do very well is, uh, is hire excellent public information officers to sort of uh, to, to make the connection between what's published in your journals and what, what comes out at your conferences and, and, and help the news media discover those things and help just regular people discover those things. Part of the reason that this ratio of, of PIOs to journalists has changed so much is that um, there are just fewer journalists, uh, which means that public information, PR, press release, um, information is, is less filtered uh, because of the way platforms work too, but also just because uh, there are fewer journalists like doing their own reporting, frankly. And so the, the sort of PIO message uh, gets transmitted much more directly than it ever did. So it's more important than ever to have like just a really smart, really um, ethical, really uh, you know, high integrity uh, public information group in, in any organization, especially scientific organizations. Um, another thing societies are, are doing well is uh, helping their members understand and participate in social media, um, which I'm a big fan of. Science Twitter is awesome. Science Twitter is really funny and it's fast and smart and collegial and people, you know, make collaborations. And so anyhow, if, you, if you're not on Twitter, there are good reasons for that. But if you are, like Science Twitter is, is just a fun place to be. And, and of course, journalists live on Twitter. That's where we spend most of our off hours. Um, and another really good social media platform that societies can help foster is Reddit, um, which is another one. It's even worse than Twitter for having like lots and lots of cesspools. Um, but it's, it's organized by channels. And it just so happens that the, uh, 
the Reddit science channel is very well moderated and it tries very hard to make sure that the conversations are productive and educational um, and it does a really good job of democratizing science. And so they have this system called an Ask Me Anything where they have a, a, a scientist or a group of scientists or society members uh, just volunteer to answer any sort of questions over the course of an hour. And the, the conversations are great. And uh, it, it sort of allows people who don't know any scientists to have this you know, fairly intimate conversation with a scientist and ask a question, get responded to, and continue the conversation. So it's, it's you know, kind of, a, it's a new, not traditional form of conversation, but for, specifically for science, it works really well. The reason to do these, to do Twitter and to do Reddit, is that you know there's just so much noise on social media. There's you know a lot of mythology, a lot of fake news getting passed around, and so um, the more we can increase the signal, uh, the better the signal to noise ratio. So it's it is a bit of a competition, and the, you know th this is where people are living. People are living on Reddit and Twitter. So if we go there, it's it's uh, it matters. No matter how you feel about the role of the media in science communication. Lara makes a compelling case for why engaging with journalists and helping your members to engage is well worth the time. Sponsoring awareness-raising initiatives like the March for Science, hiring a public information officer, and participating in the conversations happening on blogs and through social media are powerful channels to advocate for your discipline and for science and research as a whole. Check out the links on our show page for some examples of science stories with great popular appeal that Lara shared later in her talk. And let us know in the comments about how you're leveraging the media at your society to advance your discipline and reach a wider audience. That's it for this episode. Our theme music was provided by Jason Shaw and editing by Dennis Velasco. The show's producer is Anna Ayler. Our editorial advisory group includes Alexa Dugan, David Nicholson, Sarah Phibbs, Mark Robertson, and Nielsen Turner. You can find previous episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing to the Wiley Society podcast in iTunes. You can also sign up for our mailing list to learn more about what's happening at Wiley and other news and trends in research publishing by going to exchanges.wiley.com societies. I'm Bill DeLuise, and this is the Wiley Society podcast. Thanks for listening.